Welcome to On the Spot with Melinda Garvey, the On the Dot interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On the Dot. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On the Spot, available every Thursday on your favorite podcast streaming services. Today, I'm chatting with Kiara Donlin, the founder and CEO of Taya Healthcare, which provides an innovative range of post-surgery lingerie. Without further ado, let's start the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to On the Spot with Melinda Garvey and On the Dot. I am so excited to be here with our first international woman that we are interviewing, which is incredible because it's amazing how small the world gets and how many incredible women there are around the globe. And On the Dot is committed to showing you all of those great women. And I am here with Kira Donlin. And she has a incredible company called Thea or Thea. I don't want to miss Thea. Thea Healthcare. And I'm going to let her tell you all about her incredible product to help breast cancer patients and how she got started on this. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm delighted to be here, Melinda. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, so give us kind of an overview just of what your product is and how you got started. Just tell us your story. Sure, absolutely. So Paya Healthcare, which is my company, was started three years ago in Dublin, Ireland. And in a nutshell, what we do is we make women feel better about themselves post-surgery. And how we do that is through a range of post-operative lingerie, which was designed with them at the center of the process. Believe it or not, we actually listened to our customers. Um, we designed with her at the center and we also use a fabric called bamboo. So all of our products are made from bamboo. I suppose why we're unique and where it comes from is my background is pretty boring and it's online actually and I did online when it wasn't sexy. It was when I used to have to beg for an online marketing budget. That's not the case anymore. Um, I did that for 10 years and I worked in large corporates and I left in 2009 when everything was going south, um, literally with the economy and I ended up through chance opening a lingerie shop in the suburb of Dublin in Ireland where I'm from corporate to lingerie like I would love to hear how that happened well yeah it was kind of interesting actually because my last corporate role I was head of the online channel for a telecoms um, provider and I had 25 people on my team and I had a lot of women and I'd had a few women who'd had babies now at this point I had had no children I remember how difficult it was for them to find a decent maternity bra. And I remember how uncomfortable they were, right? So what happened was I was up buying a pair of shoes about two weeks after I left my corporate role with a wad of money um, sitting in my bank that I didn't know what to do with, but I knew I wanted to do business. And the lady who ran the shoe shop is a lawyer. And I'm like, so how did you go from being a lawyer to being like a shoe shop owner? So we started the whole conversation about changing careers and everything. And I was saying to her, listen, I want to do something. I don't know what I want to do. And she suggested the lingerie shop. She was like, this area of Dublin is very affluent and there's there's a lot of money in it, basically. And she was like, there's an awful lot of yummy mummies around here that need decent bras. And then I called back to my team in Vodafone and I was like, aha, light bulb. So 
I actually did a questionnaire on the streets with 120 women. I asked them, do you want a lingerie shop in Ranelagh? And 85% of them said yes. So this was in 2010 now at this point. So I went to one of the Irish banks, which at that point in time was about to go under. And with my 25-page um, business plan and asked them to 50% fund the lingerie shop. And they did. So, And I wasn't even a customer of theirs, actually. And I opened up right next door to them. And the, the shop was called Cupcakes Lingerie. And it was bright pink as well, <laughs> right inside the bank. I had all these pregnant mannequins in the window. So I specialized in maternity and nursing. And I taught myself the industry. So for those women listening who maybe are scared or don't feel that they can retrain or that they don't know enough about an area, Listen, you can learn it. It's just like anything else, you know. You you can teach yourself anything. So I taught myself the industry and I also taught myself how to fit properly bra fitting because that's very important most I think 80% of us are wearing the wrong bra size so it's good to know how to fit properly and I was successful from like our first year in operation we made money um, and it was because I had I had done I suppose I had targeted correctly so what happened was I started having breast cancer patients and I say patients as opposed to survivors because a lot of them were literally just after their operations coming into me and they started asking me for comfortable feminine supportive bras basically and I was really surprised now I didn't stock mastectomy but I was really surprised that they didn't exist so I was kind of like okay let me have a look into what's out there and I was thinking of stocking them and then what happened was I discovered that my two main competitors actually my three main competitors two German companies and one Irish company they're all prosthetic makers so they make the breast forms they're engineers basically and they were making the bras as scaffolding for their breast forms so the woman was not really entering into the equation. I also need to say they were all being designed by men at this time. So what I saw were incredibly bulky, uncomfortable bras made from synthetic materials. None of them were made from natural materials. Um, like, I mean, so bulky that some of them had big Velcro straps. Like, you couldn't go out in public wearing one of them. You'd look like the Hulk. And none of this has been taken into account. So I was like, hmm, there might be something here. So I went to an Irish agency, a state agency called Enterprise Ireland. And what they do is they, they help support would-be entrepreneurs, basically. And I did a competitive process to get hold of a €20,000 grant. And I was one of 15 who got the grant and over 200 women applied for it. It was the first time they'd put the word female in front of feasibility study. This was in 2012 because no women were applying for these grants, even though it didn't say no females. The big issue that we find here as well, I think that there's a statistic out there that women feel like they have to have 95% of the qualifications met or even up to 100% before they'll even apply for a job, for a grant, you know, for funding, et cetera. Whereas men, I mean, they got 40%, maybe they're like, yeah, I got this. Unfortunately, we have. We've all been programmed like that. And, and it is programming. I think it's a social fabric. It's ingrained. Yeah. And I know we'll probably get onto this later, but like, I think if we want to change and really be equal, it needs to start with our toddlers. It's, there's no point in starting it when we're grown women or grown men. I have a five-year-old now and um, a little boy and he, there's this cartoon, you probably have it, it's called Paw Patrol and it's about these pups oh, yeah. that go out and do stuff, they save things and Sandon turned around to me um, about a year ago and he said to me, Mama, why are there only two girl pups and there's like eight boy pups? 
<laughs> and I was like, that is an interesting question, Shannon. And he was like, some of the boy pops need to be thrown in the bin. That was his response. Oh, like, we got a little I, feminist on our hand. I, I have oh, a son too. I have a 10 year old and he's a self-proclaimed feminist. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're, we're, yeah, he is totally as well. But <laughs> what I found was amazing with that was that he's four years of age. And it, like, that's just to him. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, why aren't they equal? Anyway, we're kind of getting off track here a little bit. So um, I ended up doing my research, um, my market research with 80 breast cancer survivors. So we interviewed across the UK and across Ireland because I just wanted to see if there was a difference in what the women wanted by market. What I discovered was that there was definitely a gap in the market, but it was for the first year. So it's when they're in hospital, it's when they're trying to get their head around the fact that they may have lost one or both their breasts. They're trying to be strong for their families because it's all about, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm the mom, I'm going to be fine. They're not thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about what's going on in their heads. They're just thinking about the physical, but they're not actually looking after psychologically what's happening to them. And their whole, like this loss of their breasts is the loss of their womanhood. It can be perceived like that, especially at this time when they're so vulnerable. So that's what came across really clearly that we needed to make a product range that was going to deal with not only the physical, but also the psychological aspects of healing. That's what we did. So I found myself a very good lingerie designer because I am not a lingerie designer. Um, and she has like 25 years experience in the market. And she literally sat in the focus groups and wrote down verbatim what the women said that they wanted. And we designed based on that. So like, it's not rocket science, but like we have no tags, no seams, no wires. Mm -hmm. Everything is front opening, front adjustable. It's all super soft. So like we we're called a hug and a bra a lot by our customers. And we also looked at like we spoke to medical staff. So for example, it'll keep the drains in place, but it won't interfere with them. So it won't cut off the circulation, which when that happens, it can lead to irreversible lymphedema, which I mentioned before. Amazingly, our competitors were not speaking to their customers when they were designing the bras. They were making lacy bras. And like it, it came out loud and clear to us in our focus groups that that is the last thing a woman wants when she's just had one or both breasts removed is a lace bra. She's just trying to think about how to be whole. Exactly. That's exactly it. How to be whole, like how to self-soothe herself. Like she needs to try and get strong again, you know? So that was not being offered to her basically. And like in some cases, like I've met a lot of surgeons whose attitude is, well, I've gotten the cancer out. So, you know, what's, what's the big deal type of thing? Right. Of course, if a man were to lose his man parts... Hmm. You know, I think there'd be a little bit of a different... Well, you know that there was a study done. It's a U.S. study, actually, was done recently. I need to dig out what university it was done in. But they looked at how women's pain and men's pain is viewed by GPs. Have you, have you heard about this? No, I haven't. A man is believed four times faster that he is in pain than a woman is. Which is so funny because aren't there studies that women actually have such a higher pain tolerance than men? Yeah, I, I've never seen that study, but we're always like, we keep going. It's like, okay, I have to keep going. It's called man flu for a reason. Like they, they get a sniffle and that's it. They're gone. So even when we're sick, we're not taken seriously. Right. So definitely the whole area of women's health has been massively overlooked and it's been assumed that we want certain things, but nobody has actually taken the time to ask us. Right. So we asked. 
And my grandmother, Rose, who's, um, all of our products have a rose in them to make them more feminine looking. Um, she was a breast cancer survivor. She had a double mastectomy. Uh, back in Ireland, I tell you, when there was no such thing as a mastectomy bra being able to be bought down the end of the road. And she used to even say that she had breast cancer. She used to say she'd had cysts removed from her breast. Like, it was so taboo to even speak about it. But frankly, the aftercare for women post-operatively has a ways to go. And one of those areas is what they're put into. Like you just told me about your friend there. Like you hear that too much, that something that a woman needs or wants is just overlooked. It's just like not taken seriously. So that's what we've done. We've taken her very seriously. And it's the whole ethos of our company. The company is called Taya because Taya is a goddess. And I wanted to represent female strength. It's all about women. So the other huge big USP for us, um, and actually it's the reason, we have a patent pending, and this is the reason why we we use bamboo as our material of choice. And the reason I went for the bamboo is because I just wanted something that was better than cotton. Because when I was listening to the women in the focus groups, this is another thing I couldn't get over. They were all talking about itchy, scratchy, uncomfortable underwear that they're in like for eight weeks, 24-7. Like they can't get out of them. Even when they have a shower, they have to keep them on. And um, they were all made from synthetic materials. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. That's going to make you sweat more. And they're already on treatments, hormones, etc. So I wanted something better than cotton, and I came across bamboo. And I don't know if you know anything about bamboo. Not much, but... It's becoming more popular as a material, but it's pretty amazing. There's something called bamboo coon, which is naturally occurring in the cellulose of the fiber that makes it naturally antibacterial. It's highly absorbent. It's UV resistant. It's thermally regulating. It's super breathable. And it's also hyperallergenic. And it's sustainable. So a lot of women who've had cancer don't want to put anything in them or on them that is full of chemicals as well. That's a big deal. Um, I found this material. I was like, this is kind of the miracle material. And it's also like, it feels so soft. It's like cashmere. It's super yeah. soft. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I, I recently saw bamboo sheets and I did feel that they were super soft. I thought, huh, that's interesting. But it's interesting to know that they have those properties, especially for, you know, women of a certain age, bamboo sheets could be very good, you know, when you get hot. Actually, it's funny you should say that because a journalist in Ireland about two years ago asked me when I was going to bring out a menopausal range. She was like, me and all my friends will buy us. Like, we need nightwear to help us through this. So what I did, though, was because I wanted to sell into health boards. And I knew if I went to a surgeon and said, here, I have this bra made from bamboo, which is naturally antibacterial, that I would get laughed at, literally, right? Right. So I went to um, UCD, which is a university in Dublin. And I met with a cancer biologist there, Dr. Amanda McCann, who she specializes in breast cancer. I told her that I wanted to prove that my bamboo material mix was antibacterial. So with her help, I ended up getting an oncology nurse to do her research masters with us for two years, and we proved it. So we actually grew the two most virulent bacteria found in breast wounds on our material, and we grew it on 100% cotton, and then we waited to see what would happen. Our material resisted the growth of the bacteria by 93% and 97%, and the cotton was totally consumed. 
If you wear our bras, you have a very, very, very small chance of getting an infection. And infections are a big deal post-operative. Um, we have anecdotal evidence from doctors, nurses, and patients that they've seen increased healing, no open wounds 10 days after surgery, bruising disappearing, mold infections clearing up, blisters on the skin disappearing, like amazing stuff. 59% more absorbent than cotton. So if anybody says to you again, cotton is the most absorbent material, it's not true. And I've proven it. Bamboo is way more absorbent than cotton. And I know you guys grow a lot of cotton in the US, but cotton <laughs> is a dirty, it's a dirty material. It, like it uses 30% of all pesticides in the world. So start growing bamboo. Bamboo will grow anywhere. And we're even growing bamboo in Ireland. So, and it's much better at absorbing CO2 from the atmosphere than trees are, which is interesting as well. But we have a patent pending in the post-surgical space. Um, we did the scientific evidence with the data and we actually looked into it and actually got some real statistics, scientific data that the doctors can't say anything to. They have to believe me. <laughs> and they do believe me they do so but the other big side of it which i'm really happy about is um we looked at both the physical and psycho social aspect as well in those four weeks post-surgery this was part of claire's research masters as well and what she did was the day after surgery she went in and interviewed the women in their hospital beds gave them one of our bras so they either got our bra or they got one of our competitor bras and then she interviewed them again four weeks later and what she was looking at was their body image and their health status, right? And their pain levels. And what we found was women who wore our bras, their body image increased by 8.5% over that four-week period. Women who wore our competitors' bras, their body image decreased by 9.5%. I don't know how anybody can have a product on the market that is making somebody feel worse about themselves and stand over it, to be honest. They probably don't even know because they've never taken the time to talk to the patient per your point there. It's not about the woman. It's yeah. just about, you know, it's, it's about a functional item. And then we looked at the pain as well. Pain reduced overall with all the women who wore our products and increased with those who were our competitors. And the last bit was the health status. So overall, 20% saw an increase in their health status. So that kind of takes into account, are you eating? Are you sleeping? Um, how are you feeling in your head? How, like, how's everything going? So 20% felt better wearing ours, whereas only 8% felt better wearing the competitors. So like, they're pretty substantial figures. And when you're looking at like those four weeks post-operative, because you feel terrible anyway. So like you're at probably one of the lowest points in your life. So for a bra to make you feel worse about yourself is pretty damning, I think. And it should make them relook at what they're actually selling. Um, on the market. So that's what makes me get out of bed every morning is 93% of our customers highly rate our bras. So like they love them and we got it right. And I mean, we listened, like it's really not that difficult, but we just listened. But there are so many entrepreneurs that have companies that they produce products and then they try and find somebody to buy them, which is the wrong way around. Right. Exactly. So again, for your listeners, um, if there are budding entrepreneurs out there, Talk to whoever your target market is first. And you just have to suck it up if your idea is not really an idea. If it's not a business, it's not. But you should find out before you go any further down the line. That would be my view anyway. Yeah, absolutely. 
on the dot, of course, it's all about relatable role models and making sure that women have access to people like you and, and many of the other women that we feature so that they can see their past. So I just want to talk a little bit about, you say your company's three years old, you have this lingerie shop, you have a son who's five years old. I know that you talked about you're also raising money and you're in a space where you didn't have any experience previously and now you do. And I think people would go, oh my gosh, you know, how do you do that? But you know, you're just a regular gal. So tell us, like, you've, you've talked a little bit about, you know, your research and how you figured out how to make the bra and talking to your customer. But what's your day-to-day -day life look like? Being a mom, being an entrepreneur, raising money. What does that look like? It's crazy. It's never it's never the same. Every day is completely different. Um, I'm actually lucky that I'm living in France at the moment and the French educational system is set up to allow parents to work. So my son can go, now he can, I don't put him in, but he could go to school at 20 past seven in the morning and I could collect him at half six and that costs 18 euro a month. Wow. Childcare in the US. I mean, a minimum of $1,000 a month, minimum. It's the same in Ireland. So, uh, yeah, I know um, it's awful. Whereas the French are one of the few countries who have done this correctly. And so my little guy goes in at nine and we normally collect him at six every evening. Now, he's five and a half, but he's been doing it for two years and he loves it because he's with his friends. Like, they're playing before school and after school. So it's not like they're... They're not like sitting at their desks for nine hours. He gets like a, a three-course meal made from local produce, not more than 10 kilometers from the school. Like, I mean, it's amazing. And that's a state school. Wow. So I think, again, what we were saying, unless governments will change childcare policies, it's going to be very difficult for us to ever have equality. Because at the moment, everything is assumed it's on the mother. And secondly, it's assumed that it's the woman who's going to give up her job if crash gets too expensive to pay for it. So everything falls back on the woman all the time. Um, I'm very lucky that I have a very supportive husband who probably does more childcare than me. Um, but we went into this with our eyes open. Like he is also an investor in my company. So he knew what he was doing. We both made this decision. He is an entrepreneur as well. So he knows the road that we were gonna go down. It's not easy though. Like I would say that being an entrepreneur can be incredibly stressful. It can also be incredibly delightful. Like. When we get emails from our customers saying how happy they are and how much we've made it easier on them, that's what makes it worthwhile. And um, that's why I think having a business that gives back can be very rewarding rather than just having a business for business's sake. But I mean, my son, I'm a, I travel a huge amount. Like in the last six weeks, I've been to New York and San Francisco. I've been to Paris. I'm at the moment in the southeast of France and I've been to Ireland twice. I've been away a lot um, and, and I'm away from my son and he misses me but we talk every night on Skype and he's gotten to the age now that it's just a present every time I come back he's like what am I getting this time but I mean I have like like I suppose how I manage that is Senan gets home at six o'clock he goes to bed at nine I do not look at a phone I do not open my laptop in those hours I am 100% with him we will do whatever he wants to do and I will get him his meal. We'll have a meal as a family. And then if I have to, I'll work when he's in bed. But he doesn't see me with my face in my phone or in the computer because you have to separate it and you need to have your family time as well. And at the weekends, I try to only work when he's in bed or if he's not there, if I need to. So I manage it like that. But it's not easy. And, you know, I... But then I suppose when I was growing up, my dad travels a lot for work and my mom sometimes used to go with him on trips. So 
It's always happened. It's just, I think, I actually think we're made to feel guilty about it a little bit more now. <laughs> yeah, we're made to feel guilty about it because, you know, the, the woman was always home, right? And so men never felt guilty. But even if there's yeah. a stay-at-home dad, the women are still made to feel guilty. So it's kind of a, you know, hopefully that mindset is, is starting to change. Sometimes I feel like in the United States, you know, we take a bunch of steps forward and then depending on you know, who's leading our country, we take some steps back mentally, maybe just in terms of how women are seen. So I, I think that it's going to be a lot of back and forth. But it, the question is, can we go forward far enough so that when we come back, we don't quite come back as far so that each time we actually make progress. And I think we just have to keep believing that. And, you know, my husband is much like you're super supportive, also an entrepreneur, does most of the childcare, and you really need that. So I think we're seeing more and more, and it's just like role models for women. I think the more that it's accepted and that men embrace it and are feminists and believe in that and stand behind that, that other men will see that. It becomes normalized, just like normalizing success for women, which is what we are trying to do with On The Dot, is normalizing these gender roles for men as well. So I want to talk about, before we go about what's next for you because I you have some exciting things that are happening I know that yeah. you would love to hear a little bit about that journey and then sort of what the what the culmination of that has been sure absolutely so we've been mainly operating this side of the pond so UK Ireland France and a few other European countries so there's a massive opportunity in the US it's a big market but apart from that um, actually you guys are pretty I don't mean this in a bad way but you're pretty behind when it comes to post-operative lingerie there isn't a huge amount of, of good choice out there. I want to bring our lingerie to all the breast cancer survivors and women going through it in, in the States. There's an opportunity, but it won't be there forever. I've been looking to raise money. I've started the process in my head probably last December, and then I've been doing it for three months. So it takes a huge amount of energy. It's pretty much a full-time job. I suppose we should really give your listeners some stats if they're not aware of them. So 2% of the VC money in the world goes to women and 7% of VCs in the world are women. Now, I'm not just on the States, the world. When you look at social norms, you recognize in somebody what you see in yourself. So if you're a woman walking into a room full of 15 men, they're not going to see anything in you that they see in themselves. So that is one of the reasons it's inherent bias that more men are getting funded beyond women. I have been told that this is a woman's problem, which I don't quite understand because we're 50% of the world and we have a lot of buying power. So I was, I was coming up against the kind of traditional obstacles when I was looking from traditional VCs. So I've changed my tactic completely now. So I'm now targeting women investors and it is targeting. So it's like getting lists of them and finding out who their friends with and who they talk to. And I'm also targeting angel networks, which you're really good at in the States. And there are ones that are set up specifically for women. And actually one golden seeds that I've met the two managing partners, um, she was telling me that when they started their angel fund, 3% of angel money was going to women. And they have now got it up to, I think, 25 or 26%. So that's brilliant. Yeah, especially in the angel world. VC is still lagging pretty 
far behind, but Angel is coming up and you're seeing more and more female investors because women need to put their money where their mouth is, right? We need to step into that. And it is about being able to see other women who are investors, you know, and coming in and not being intimidated in a male dominated space. So I feel like, you know, we've, we've got to actually put our cash dollars back into other female led companies. And I know when I was raising money, I talked to women who were top executives who have a lot of money who said to me, oh gosh, my money's with my financial advisor. I mean, my husband is always investing in his buddy's thing, but I just don't know anything about that. You know, and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, you know, that's what needs to change is this mindset. Because I believe that at the end of the day, if we don't get more female investors, we'll never gain equality in that because we have to get women who are stepping in and saying, I'm going to make this change. And do you know that most of the Fortune 500 companies in the US, they all grew from venture capital. So if you're not going to change a, a formula, so why would those companies put women on the board? They haven't had them involved all the way up. Right. You're right. It has to change at the funding stage. If it's and I like that's one of my aspirations now. When I grow up, is to be an investor. Oh yeah. Oh god. That's big time. Wanna, you know, part of it is this ecosystem. It is exciting to think. You know, part of wanting to give back because you see this ecosystem. You know, to be able to help and and grow and augment that. In fact, I I was just having drinks with one of my investors last night, a woman, and she said exactly the same thing. She's about to hit it big on an investment that she. Made made, you know, a kind of a unicorn. And I said, well, what are you going to do when you hit it? And she's like, I'm going to reinvest again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do more. And I was so proud of her because that's the mentality. You know, she wants to feed that ecosystem. She's not going to go buy a yacht. She could, but she's not going to. She's going to go deeper into the ecosystem. And I love that. So you're raising this money. Now what's next? Are we going to be able to see you in the U.S. perhaps? Yeah, so at the moment we're 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 only in one lingerie shop in the US guys. So in town lingerie they're in Manhattan. If you're nearby, we're in there. I suppose beyond that, my the money that I'm raising is hopefully it's going to be used to really promote us. Um, so watch this space. Hopefully you're going to be hearing a lot more about us in the US. I do have big, big, big plans though to help other patient groups um, through the use of garments. So there's no reason why symptoms can't be dealt with by what people are wearing. It doesn't necessarily always have to be drugs. So I hope that this money will also put us on the road to do that. Um, and actually, just one other thing I'd like to say, just for your beyond entrepreneurs that are listening one thing that I did which really helped with our visibility was I entered a lot of awards and competitions both to raise money but also to raise awareness so I would definitely say that um, I was given that advice early on to enter like accelerators competitions do awards it's a lot of work but it pays off if you if you pick the right ones so that would be some advice I would give as well Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. So in the meantime, where can people find you? Tell us what your website is so that we can find you and read more about you and make sure that we're up to the minute when you come to the U.S. Sure. Well, actually, you can buy from our website and we deliver to the U.S. within a week, direct from our website. So it's Paya Healthcare. So T-H-E-Y-A Healthcare, all one word, dot com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, it's wonderful the work you're doing. And I appreciate you being so candid and just sharing your journey because I know it's going to help inspire another woman who was listening today. So thank you. And we'll be watching your progress. Thank you, Melinda. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. 
Looking for more inspiration, advice, and direction? Subscribe to our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot, where we provide you with the tools and motivation you need to get out there and be the badass boss you were meant to be. Catch us next Thursday, December 6th, when we sit down with Valerie Sarin, the owner of VS Photography, a photography studio that specializes in beauty and boudoir. Share On The Dot with your tribe. Like, subscribe, and share onthedotwoman.com, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you stream your favorite pods.